It is now, according to uh, First Baptist Standard Time, 11.32, which means I have roughly 28, 30 minutes to accomplish something very important. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, we have about 30 minutes to see you move from death into life, 30 minutes to convince you in complete dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God, that you need to trust Christ as your Savior. If you're here, you're discouraged, you're seeking, you're confused, you're hurting, you're disobedient, you're rebellious, you're doubting, you have a wrong view of God, I have approximately 30 minutes to expose you to biblical truth that can change your life, change your attitude, meet your deepest needs. We only got, we've only got about 30 minutes together, and it may be the last 30 minutes that we ever spend together on this earth. This may be the last 30 minutes of Bible teaching you ever hear. <laughs> Bible teaching that I ever do. It's very important we use that time, that very limited time, well, and not waste it. For all of us, it is important that we realize that our time on this earth is limited and that we use it well. Moses prayed in Psalm 91, God teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. In our studies in Romans 12 and 13, we've seen that in order to be effectively used by God and live the Christian life, we need to have a proper perspective uh, concerning our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other believers, with other people in general, and even with those who persecute us and act as our personal enemies towards us, and with those who God has placed, as we saw last week, in authority over us. In the last half of Romans 13, we see that it is also of utmost importance that we have a proper awareness of what time it is. In Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14, we read three facts <laughs> that we need to remember about what time it is. It's time to pay our debts. <coughs> it's time to love one another. It's time to wake up. If you're asleep, it's time to wake up. First of all, we find that according to what we read here, it is time to pay our debts. We're told in verse 8, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. First of all, Oh, no one anything. We find that that's a natural follow-up uh, to what we have just read in verse 7, where it says that we are to pay our taxes, we're to pay customs to whom customs is due, give respect to whom respect is due, give honor to whom honor is due. And we're told here, we're to pay all of our debts. Now, that's as Christians, and actually everybody is supposed to pay their debts. If you incur a debt, God's plan is that we pay it. Now, the Bible 
doesn't absolutely forbid the borrowing of money or the lending of money. There have been some that have interpreted this passage that way. Hudson Taylor took it that way and in his, just went through his life and would never borrow anything for anything and just kind of trusted God to provide. Uh, but the Bible doesn't absolutely com- command us not to borrow or not to lend. If you go back to the Mosaic Law, you find that there are instructions and regulations given there concerning the, uh, the borrowing and the lending of money. And uh, so we find other places in Scripture it talks about this matter of, of borrowing as well. And there are a number of principles that, that are clearly taught in Scripture. Number one, borrowing money to support a, a covetous lifestyle is condemned in Scripture. Uh, life doesn't consist in the abundance of things. This life is, is not about how much we have. God's plan is not for you and me to be covetous. But God's plan is, is for us to be content with the things that He brings into our lives. So borrowing to support a covetous lifestyle is absolutely, absolutely condemned in Scripture. We find great caution in borrowing is certainly a scriptural principle. In fact, we're told in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7 that the borrower is the servant to the lender. If you borrow money from somebody, you you have an obligation to them. You have a debt to them. You have a a responsibility before God and the law and, and what's right to pay that person back before you go off and spend your money on all sorts of other things. So we we find that we need to be very, very cautious in borrowing money. We find that uh, charging usury, that's exorbitant interest, is condemned in Scripture. Nobody should be getting wealthy by charging extreme interest rates uh, to people that borrow money from them. I wonder what the Lord would say about the 19 and the 20 and the 22% interest rates that are charged by some of the uh, credit card companies that are in existence today. That, that's basically usury. And God says if we loan money to somebody that needs it, whether it's family, friends, whatever, uh, we certainly don't charge exorbitant interest rates. Uh, one of the other things the Bible warns about in the area of finances is guaranteeing the debts of others. Uh, It's called surety in the King James Version, in the New King James. And basically what it is, it's co-signing. If somebody wants you to co-sign for a loan for them, and it particularly warns against co-signing for strangers. If you co-sign for somebody, what you're saying is that you are ready, willing, and able to pay off their debt if they don't pay it. And guess what? Legally, if you co-sign, if they don't pay their debt, People can come after you to pay that debt. And the Bible warns about moving in that direction in our lives. Now, it doesn't say don't absolutely do it. Sometimes we may do it for family members and so forth, but uh, uh, we better make sure we really are ready and willing and that we are able to pay the debt if, if it comes down to it that we must do that. So those are some biblical principles. And certainly the Bible teaches that what is borrowed must be repaid. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 21, the wicked borrows and does not repay. So we find that's where we stand as far as the matter of what God has to say. Uh, We need to pay our debts. In fact, as Christians, uh, part of our Christian testimony is paying our debts. 
In fact, one way to blow your testimony to somebody is to not pay your debt. You owe them money. A church can blow its testimony in a community by, by having, having debts that they don't pay. And one of the best things a church can do as far as their testimony in a community is to pay any debts that we have. The Bible says, owe, owe no man anything. And if we have any debt at all, we need to make sure that we're paying it in connection with the agreements that come to, to pass in any agreement that we enter into. The one debt that we have that we can never pay off. You know, it's nice whenever you, you get a debt paid off, isn't it? You maybe borrow money for an automobile and you, you get down to where you've made that last payment and then it's time to get another automobile, right? Or you borrow money on a house, on a mortgage, and you come down and you get that paid off. Isn't that a great feeling? Get that paid off? Well, we got one debt we can never pay off. We, we, we never stop paying on that, and that is this matter here we're told of loving one another. So here we go again, talking about this business of, of love, loving one another. How much are we going to talk about that? Well, we're going to talk about it as much as we see it laid out in Scripture. And guess what? There's an awful lot in the Bible about you and me as believers loving one another. We have that obligation. That's one of the things the Lord expects from us. We're to love God and to love one another. We have an obligation to love other believers, to love our neighbors, to love our, even our enemies. And uh, there's a connection given here between love and, and the law. He goes through and he gives a couple of examples. Don't commit adultery. If you love somebody, you're not going to commit adultery with them, right? Or, or commit adultery with a person's wife or a person's husband. Uh, you shall not murder. If you love someone, you're not going to murder them, right? If you're really looking out for their best interest, you're not going to take their life. And it goes through the list here. You're not going to cover what they have. You're not going to lie about them. You're not going to steal from them. And the bottom line as it comes into play here, it says that... Uh, this sums up, this can be all summed up by saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How do you, what's the bottom line? If you love people, you're not going to violate God's standards when it comes to your dealings with them. And he goes on, he says, love does no harm to a neighbor. If you love somebody, you're not going to hurt them. If you love somebody, you're not going to take advantage of them. If you love somebody, you're not going to act selfishly towards them, but you're going to be concerned about what really is in their best interest. And he speaks even on top of that. He says, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We love God, and we fulfill the first part of the law. We love our neighbor, and we fulfill the latter part of the law. That's seeking the highest interest of the person who is the object of our love. So here it is, laid out for us. Uh, what, what's, what time is it? It's time to pay our debts. What time is it? It's time to, to love one another. And also we find, what time is it? It's time to wake up. Time to wake up. Uh, when's it time to wake up? Well, it's time to wake up now. Now. We find that, it even says right here in, in this passage of Scripture, he says it is, we ought to know the time. And know that it is high time to awake out of sleep. We ought to be aware of what time it is in, in God's program. And we, we find that there, there's two different terms that are used, uh, translated time in Scripture. 
And the one here is talking about the, the age. We need to recognize what age it is. We're in the last days of the church age. We're in the days prior, just prior to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he left earth the first time, he promised he's coming back again. And do you know when Christ could come back? He could come back today. He could come back before we get out of this church building this morning. There are no prophecies that have to be fulfilled. And it says here, in light of that, it's high time, it's late. There's no time to waste. You know, a couple different ways you wake up in the morning. Sometimes you're on vacation, and, or you don't have to get up and do anything, so you, you wake up and, well, I'm still a little tired, so I just kind of lay there. Or if you have the alarm set, maybe you reach over and hit the snooze alarm, and, and you're, you know, just kind of take it easy. You know, there's nothing pressing you have to do, so you can just kind of relax a little bit. And then... There's that time when you've, you've got to go to work. You've got to go to school. And you glance over at that clock, and it's late. And you've got to wake up. You've got to get up and get moving because there's something important that you've got to do. You've got responsibilities. You've got things that are expected of you. You've got things that are necessary for you to take care of. There can be no more waiting. There can't be any more procrastination. There can't be any more turning over in the bed. Can't be hitting the snooze alarm one more time. It's get up and get moving. And when we talk about this matter of, of sleep here in this passage of Scripture, obviously he's not talking about waking up from physical sleep. He's talking about waking up from spiritual sleep. Being spiritually asleep. The, the definition for sleep that I found says that sleep is the state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. You know, that we, we understand how that can be physical. We also can see how that can apply to us spiritually. What, what, what's a believer like that is spiritually asleep? Well, he's, he's unresponsive to what's going on around him. He's inactive. He's not conscious of, of, of what needs to be done. And when we find this, look at this exhortation here, the ones that are told to wake up here are Christians. He's not talking to unbelievers here. Unbelievers need to be raised from the dead. They need to be quickened from being spiritually dead. If you don't know Christ, you're dead spiritually. You have no relationship with God. You have no connection with Him. And you need spiritual life. You need to pass from, from death unto life. You need to be quickened. You need to be... Uh, regenerated and given life by the Holy Spirit of God. He's speaking here to believers. As you look at the context, he's talking to Christian people, and he's talking to Christian people that are asleep spiritually. It's possible for us to be asleep spiritually, being, being apathetic, being complacent in our lives, being unconscious towards the things of God, being unresponsive to what God would have us to do. Being inactive as far as doing anything with our lives that's going to make our life count for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know any Christians like that? You ever been like that in your life? Is that where you're at right now in your walk with God? <coughs> Is it possible for us as believers to be there? We can slip into that spiritual complacency, can't we? What do you have to do? 
you, you just you just kind of drift. You know, you, you, you just kind of lighten up in your prayer life a little bit. You, you don't get in God's Word the way that you need to. You don't get around other Christian people. You kind of get lulled to sleep by the things that are urgent in your life, the things that you have to take care of. Go to work, go to school, do this, do that. Cut the grass, shovel the snow, uh, do the laundry, uh, go see friends, do this. And, and it's so easy to just become asleep spiritually. You haven't lost your salvation, but your, your life's not really counting much for eternity. We're not doing much for Christ to really make our lives count for Him. And you know what God says to us when we get in that kind of a situation? He says, it is time to what? Wake up! That's not going to wake anybody up. What time is it? It's time to wake up! Get busy! Get out of the apathy. Get rid of the complacency. Make your life count for Christ. And why do that? Why do we need to wake up? Because it's where we're at God's plan. We're in the last days of the church age. We're at a place in God's plan where Christ could come back at any time and we'll see Him face to face. And when believers are caught out of this world, we're told they're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Some of us would like to, when the Lord comes back, say, Lord, could you wait just a little bit? I know there's some things I need to take care of. I know there's some things that I need to do. Well, when Christ comes back, there's no do-overs. When Christ comes back, you, you better make sure you know Him as your Savior, first of all, or you're going to be here for the tribulation period. And if you're a Christian, we better make sure that we're not going to be ashamed of Him, ashamed before Him at His coming. We better be careful about doing what He would have us to do right now. It says that, that our salvation is nearer than when we believed. Now the term salvation here He's talking about is our, our glorification. You realize that in Scripture there are, are three tenses to salvation. If you're here and you trusted Christ as your Savior sometime in the past, that's the past tense. You were saved from the penalty of your sin. If you're a Christian, you're being saved right now from the power of sin in your life. You don't have to be controlled by sin. You don't have to listen to the devil. You don't have to fall into the temptations of this world. We're being saved from the power of sin. And one of these days, we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. That's the future tense. And when's that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen in, in, in one sense if the Lord takes us out of this world through death. It happens in the sense that our sin nature is no more and we're in the Lord's presence. But it's going to happen in the fullest sense when Christ comes back again because then not only is it a matter of the sin nature being gone, but also we're going to get glorified resurrection bodies. These bodies we have now are mortal corruptible, dying bodies, right? That's not what God plans us to spend all of eternity in. I'm glad that we're going to be changed. Aren't you? Flesh and blood won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. We're going to be changed and be given glorified resurrection bodies like the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that time's nearer than when you believed. 
it, it's nearer than when Paul was writing this almost 2,000 years ago. How close are we to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know. I do know it could happen at any moment. How close are we to the time when we'll be snatched out of this world through death? None of us are guaranteed today. None of us are guaranteed the, the next 10 minutes. We're all one heartbeat away from eternity. One heartbeat from for the believer seeing Christ and desiring to hear from him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, I guarantee you, if you've gone through your life walking in your sleep, not making your life count for Jesus Christ, it's not going to be a matter of hearing well done. It's going to be a matter of shame before the Lord Jesus Christ when you see him. When, you, when you're overwhelmed with remembering what he's done for us and we recognize maybe we haven't done nearly what we should for him. The night's far spent. Uh, the, the, the night of sin and the night of this age is getting close to the end. <coughs> and we're getting close to the time when the morning star is going to rise. You know, we've been living in the last days since Jesus Christ came the first time. And some people will use the fact that Christ hasn't come back and it's been almost 2,000 years and Jesus hasn't come back. Where is the promise of His coming? Well, we're told in 2 Peter 3, it's not a matter of the fact that God is, is slow concerning His promise or has forgotten His promise, but it says He's long-suffering. He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. What's He waiting on? He's waiting for more people to come to know Christ as Savior. I'm glad He waited until I came to know Christ as my Savior, aren't you? And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I pray you find Christ to be your Savior before He does come back or before you're taken out of this world through death. But we're told that we, we need to wake up. What's waking up involve? Well, it, it, it involves casting off the works of, of darkness that we find listed and talked about here in verse 13. And walking properly, not in revelry and drunkenness and licentiousness and lewdness, and not in strife and envy either. You know, sometimes, well, I don't have a lot of problem with some of those things, but a lot of Christians have some problems with strife and envy in their lives and in their families, don't they? That's not something that ought to be part of us. We cast off the works of darkness. We put on the armor of light. We walk properly. We walk in a way where we're following the Lord Jesus Christ, where we're trusting Him, where we're going where He wants us to go, and we we put him on and we can know that we're awake we can show that we're awake by number one putting on the Lord Jesus Christ what's it mean to put on Christ well it's kind of like putting you know clothing ourselves with him so that when people see us who do they see they see him uh, they see the things that Jesus would say they, they hear the things Jesus would say they see the things that Jesus would do because he's doing those things through us. We clothe ourselves with him. We focus on him. We fellowship with him. We follow him. We, we, we make our life all about him. The Apostle Paul stated it this way. He says, for me to live is Christ. 
And if we have put on, <laughs> if we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can say the same thing. For me to live is Christ. He's the focus of everything that I do. He's the one, the, the one that I want to please in everything that I say, in the way that I handle every situation that comes up in my life. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about Him. If, if we're awake spiritually, that's what it is. We don't go through days at a time or weeks at a time where we don't even think about Christ. We don't go through days or weeks where we, we, don't, look, where we don't look at people and not wonder if they've ever trusted Christ and have a desire to share Christ with somebody. You know, if we, if we put on Christ, these things are part of our life every day, all day long. It's all about Him and not about us. And in connection with that, we put on Christ and we make no provision for the flesh. The Bible has this principle throughout. Put off, put on. Put off the flesh, put on Christ. And here it talks about making no provision for the flesh. In fact, the way that it's stated gives us some help here in overcoming sin. Do you ever get frustrated? Sometimes when you, you, you fall into sin, you practice sin more than you want to. You give in to temptation. Well, here, here's some good instruction right here. He says, don't make any provision for the flesh. The uh, New International Version translates it this way. Don't think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In fact, basically, don't make plans to sin, okay? You know, you don't make plans to do things that you, you have, are tempted to do, but you know aren't right. Just don't, don't make plans for that. Don't make provision. Don't move in that direction. Don't go places where you're likely to sin. Don't put yourself in situations where you're likely to fall. Don't make any provision for the flesh. Watch what you turn on on that television set. In fact, sometimes don't turn on that television set. Watch the kind of books that you pick up to read, the kind of things that you listen to. Don't make plans to sin. In fact, take it a step further. Plan not to sin. Are there some things that we can do that can help us not to sin? You know, there are, there are some predicaments that I just won't put myself in because I know I can't trust myself in those situations. When my kids were still at home, there were places and situations where they'd sometimes ask, can, you know, can we go there, do this? Can we go with so-and-so? Uh, no, you can't go there. No, you can't go with that, that person. You know, some people are just bad influences on your kids. You realize, you realize that? Uh, and, and sometimes they'd come back and they'd say, well, you don't trust us. You don't trust me. You know what my response was? You're absolutely right. I don't. And you know what? Even more than that, I don't trust myself putting myself in the kind of situation you're asking me to allow you to put yourself into. No, I don't trust you. We need to make no provision for the flesh. Instead, we ought to plan to live for eternity. Plan to live for what counts for eternity. What are you going to do today? To make your life count for eternity. I'm glad part of your day was coming here to worship God. That counts for eternity. 
if you came here with the right heart and the right mindset, if you really came to worship Him in spirit and truth, that's good. That counts for eternity. If you came to hear God's Word and we walk out of here and apply it to our lives, that counts for eternity. If we have an opportunity to uh, pray with somebody, talk with somebody, share the gospel with somebody, that counts for eternity. We have the opportunity to bless somebody that persecutes us. Somebody gives us a hard time. That counts for eternity. And we're told in Scripture that we ought to live with eternity as being our focus and our viewpoint. Not living for the pleasures and the pressures of today, but always recognizing there's eternity. Somebody said we should never sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the urgent. Yeah, that's true. We need, to, we need to plan for what really counts forever and ever and ever. If you're here this morning and you know, don't know Christ as Savior, you're not ready for eternity. You're going to experience eternity, but it's not going to be a good eternity. It's going to be a horrible eternity separated from God and everything good about life. And my prayer is you'll put your faith in Christ today. If you need somebody to talk to about that, I'd be glad to spend some time with you and show you from God's Word how you can pass from death unto life, how you can have forgiveness for your sin, how you can have Christ for your Savior and be prepared for eternity. And then my prayer is that each of us as Christians would make our lives count for that which matters for all of eternity. Because how long are we going to live with Jesus? We're going to live with Him for all of eternity. Isn't that a great thing to think about? And I'll tell you what, it's certainly worthwhile pleasing Him now and receiving His rewards that we're going to enjoy with Him for all of eternity. Father, we pray that You'd help us as believers to, to pay our debts. Help us to love one another. And Father, help us to wake up Anytime we slip into lethargy and apathy and, and complacency, Lord, help us to be responsive to the things of God. Be active in service for God. Be truly able to say in our lives that for me to live is Christ. And then, Lord, we know that we can say to die is gain. God, I pray for each one of us as Christians today. If there's any of us that are spiritually asleep in any area of our life, Help us to wake up and commit ourselves to live for that which is eternal. Make no provision for the flesh, but live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.